Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the GRIT podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth. I'm the founder and CEO of Sisu and your host of the show. And today we are here with Hannah Bettenhausen. Now, I know that's the German pronunciation. What's the English <laughs> pronunciation, Hannah? Same thing. <laughs> okay, great. So you brought the pronunciation with you. So anyway, Hannah is the chief operating officer of B Crew Enterprises, LLC. They're a management company that owns and operates real estate team, mortgage company, home flipping company, and some other things that they have going on, including starting a few new podcasts. So Hannah, anything you'd like to add to that? No, you got it. We're keeping busy. We are potentially shifting into the investment world too in creating an investment fund down the road. Okay. So tell me more about that. I'm not, I'm not going to let you just like jump out of that. <laughs> if you're creating an investment fund, like something about you, and I want to dive into your past here in a minute, but something about you, like you came into this world as an ISA in 2016, which wasn't very long ago. And you've grown from that to being the chief operating officer of a company that manages multiple businesses. So congratulations. And tell me, tell me more about this investment company. So we don't have a whole lot. Uh, we're partnering with some phenomenal people, both in the real estate world, but also in the tech sector. And we are just going to be forming a group that will be building $25 million funds to start with in the real estate sector specifically. So we'll do some residential only funds. We're going to probably build out some commercial and residential group funds as well. We're just kind of getting started. It's something that's totally new to all of us. And so we're learning it and bringing in some experts that will help us run it so that we will have some top experts in our area um, actually taking care of most of the, the day-to-day stuff. So we're doing this right. Okay, so is this a fund, and obviously you're learning about this right now, and you may not have to find this, but is this a fund where you guys will be buying houses, or is this a fund where you will be working with other agents who or team owners who might be listening to this podcast to help them fund and buy new houses? Both. So this is a fund that we will be buying houses. We are also reaching out and we will pay commissions on anything that people bring to us to purchase but we also are partnering with someone who is available to help people buy houses who can't do it on a conventional mortgage. So someone who say has a larger portion down, but is maybe self-employed and they don't have two years are maybe their credit is down because of medical history or medical bills, stuff like that. So they have very unconventional ways of creating financing and then refinancing it into their own name later on the road. Okay. So you would become the bank at that point and are okay doing that because if they don't, for some reason, pay their house payment, you're okay owning that house. Is that right? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Cool. So for any of you guys that have difficult deals to fund, 
reach out to Hannah to learn more about that as she progresses down that road. So Hannah, let's let's dive into your background before real estate, because 2016 was only six years ago. What were you doing before you got into real estate? So I ran a business development center. We call it BDC. It's basically internet and phone sales for a Ford dealership. It was the largest dealership in North Dakota for seven years. So a lot of internet and phone sales calls and that's why ISA, it fed really quickly into it. But we had about 30% of the sales from the entire dealership come through our department on an annual basis. Okay. So for seven years, you were running this team of ISAs, essentially, or whatever they're called in the car business, right? In the software business, they're SDRs, sales development reps. (laughs) But tell me more about like, what was the size of your team? You guys were, did you say 70% of their volume going out uh, was generated from your team? 30%. 30%. So there, our team was actually only three people. Sometimes it was up to like five people, but we were a small team and just really just drove the sales in as much as possible. So um, anything phone related, any any internet, we did all the marketing for the company, anything like that went through our department. Okay. So you came into real estate. Who recruited you into this business? How did you end up getting into this business? So I was just looking for something new and a new exciting experience. And I had a friend of mine, Alex Kujna. He was a listing agent on the Brandenburg crew. And I reached out to him and I said, is this real estate really legit? Like, am I going to make any money doing this? Or am I just going to be wasting my time chasing this? And he's like, well, if you're serious, like you need to come talk to my boss. And I was like, well, I don't know. And he kept pushing. So I came in and I talked to Derek Brandenburg. He's the owner of our team. And he just did a phenomenal job at building out a vision and a picture and just creating excitement in what they were going to be doing. So I just knew as soon as I had talked with him that I needed to join this team and take the risk. And so he offered me the job like two days later and I went and got signed up to do my license. I had two little kids. I was still working 40 hours a week. And every night I just come home and work at least four hours on my license. Cause I was like, I got to get this before I start in two weeks. So I did not have my license, but I had finished my class (laughs) by the time we started. Okay. So how long were you in that ISA role on the Brandenburg team? Officially, I was in it for about a year before I got moved into the operations manager role. It just, I I can do sales all day long. And I had set, you know, 40, about 20 appointments a week. So like, I was good at it, but my passion was more in creating processes and procedures and building out for the future. And I got really excited about that stuff. And Derek was awesome. And he's like, I can see your passion and this is where you belong. And we're big, big believers in finding the right people for the right seats and finding putting me in operations was the right seat for me. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. So at that time, were you guys just a real estate team? We were, we were a real estate team of about 11 people. You know, our goal was to someday break a hundred million dollars in our market. That's still 350 transactions. And so that was our dream for one day. And we were probably doing closer to about 30 million at the time. Okay. And where are you at today? Our projections for this year are 120 million. Okay. So 120 million. How many transactions will that be? Just over 400. Okay. Awesome. Congratulations. So I want to back up even further before your ISA stuff, maybe a little bit into your childhood. I understand you moved around a little bit in your childhood. Let's talk about that because I'm trying to 
just trying to dig into where this entrepreneur spirit comes from. Sure. So my parents were missionaries. Um, so I spent a good portion of my first five years in Zaire, Africa, before the war broke out, Civil War. And so we came back here. We kind of lived a few different places in the U.S. We spent a year in Quebec, Canada. Just a lot of crazy travel, but we settled in Minneapolis. My dad has always had the entrepreneurial spirit and he's not the down for anything. So he had started a couple of nonprofit organizations and he got into real estate, uh, flipping homes and then renting them out for refugees or low-income people. And so I have kind of been in that real estate realm a little bit in that I would help him flip the home. You know, he free child labor or whatever. I would go over there after school and help clean the houses or scrape paint or paint new walls or whatever it was. So that kind of labor just never scared me. And it always showed me the potential of growth and opportunities that was out there. Okay. So obviously you have this mindset of, you know, I just want to go in and create something new and create all the systems for this. You right now have your EXP business, you have your mortgage company, you have your home flipping company. I think you guys started a residential construction company. Is that right? Yes. Yep. The last year we started residential construction, we'll do 50 homes this year. So you will build 50 homes this year. So what I'm trying to figure out is if my, my personal opinion is every team owner should have at least four income streams coming in. You guys have done a phenomenal job of that. And, you know, some people may say hundred million, I'm doing 500 million, but you guys might actually be netting more money at the end of the day because you've got all this other stuff going on. So let's kind of talk about the progression of going from a real estate team to this B crew enterprises management company or holding company that essentially has all these other companies underneath it. And how you kind of went from being this ISA to this operations person managing all of this. Okay. So are you familiar with traction? With traction? Yeah. No. The, well, the traction know. model with Gina Wickman wrote traction EOS model. No. No. Um, so every company should have a visionary and an integrator. Oh, yes. Um, absolutely. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so uh I am an integrator, but I have a little bit of a visionary in that my mind is going a million miles a minute and I like trying new things. And so it's not just like, give me an idea and I'll make it happen. I go, let, give me this idea, let's build on it. And so Derek is our visionary, the owner, and we have great sessions where we just sit down and talk about ideas and then, you know, push each other on different things or point out issues or flaws in our logic or whatever. And it's been really fun just feeding off of that. When we sat down, it was all about a one-stop shop and it wasn't just me or Derek there, you know, we have a team of awesome managers in, but we wanted to create a one-stop shop. And so that's why we moved into mortgage company and opened up something else because, you know, obviously with mortgage, it's all about getting leads, right? And how many times do lenders take out agents for lunch or coffee or whatever it is? happy hours. And you're like, well, why are they spending so much money on each agent? And it all comes down to a consistent stream of business, right? So if we have that consistent stream of business and we can ask our clients to use them, no, they don't have to. We try to encourage them to check out and shop a few different shops. If we could even capture 40 to 50% of that business, what is that going to do for a new company? And like you said, another stream of income. Um, 
And all of it's being spent in the one company for marketing is some co-marketing dollars with the real estate team. It saves dollars on one end and spend on the other. I will say our real estate team does not make a ton of money, but that's because it's creating opportunities for all the other companies. You know, we have buyers for our homes. Um, We have a company that will list for really cheap all of our flips. And we have a company that will feed in business for our mortgage company. On top of that, we do dabble a little bit in insurance and in that we own a small portion of an insurance company. And so we have a way to feed streams of business into the insurance company. Now we don't really run any of it or anything like that, but it's a great way to support them. You know, we did dabble in title work that did not work out how we thought it would. It is a lot harder than we realized. So it's just always trying to find that one-step shop, what makes it easier for the clients, but also can create another way to revenue, generate revenue for each other. Um, So sometimes we'll just throw out the map of Actually, we were looking at yesterday and just looking at where each company is and how they feed and support each other so that when we bring that back to each one of the managers in each of these companies, we can say, here's the vision, here's what you're doing and how it affects all these other companies. And that's why it's so important to maintain these relationships so that we can support each other. And here's how it helps you. Okay. So you guys started a mortgage company first, it sounds like. It sounds like that was your first company outside of real estate. So how did you go about that process? And did you partner with somebody or did you guys just create your own mortgage company from scratch? We created our own mortgage brokerage from scratch. So it's a brokerage. We figured it all out. We didn't know what we were doing at all. Like I remember filling out paperwork for grants and, you know, uh, lines of credit and things like that, trying to get the support we needed to get this up and running. We did not have a whole lot of anything to begin with, but it was just a lot of learning and trial and error. And there's some phenomenal lenders in the broker world that you can call and ask questions and ask for support and they'll walk you through anything. So there's a lot, a lot of uh, just learning by trial and error. And that was your role? Uh, Not just mine. We had another manager in there too, who did great in bringing in the lenders that we would use. My realm came in and how do we create a processing department and how do we create the processes in the back end. So processing, you know, same thing as like a transaction coordinator, but way harder and a lot more in depth. Um, so I just went in and learned how to process and learned how to do the loan origination so that I could help the processes understand what the other LOs were doing. And then, all right, here's the steps that we're going to do. And here's how we're going to do it. And here's the expectations on timeframes and things like that. And then finding the software that met up with that and connected with that and fed into each other. Okay. So I think a lot of people in this industry have this mindset. Maybe it's a blockage that, you know, they, they have to partner with somebody instead of just figure it out on their own. And so congratulations on, on successfully doing that. So I'm guessing you tried to do the same thing with title. And I want to talk a little bit about that failure because I think everyone thinks, oh yeah, so they went in and they did this and it'll work out for them. It's not going to work out for me. Well, a lot of us fail and a lot of different areas and doesn't seem like we talk enough about these failures and it's okay to fail, right? Because you learn from it and you move forward. If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit. So let's talk about your experience with the title business now that we've heard how this mortgage business worked out for you guys. 
Sure. So in our market, um, people don't buy title insurance because they have abstracts on their homes that date back to the original home being built. And so when we were looking at doing this, we actually talked with a friend of ours who runs a very successful title company. And we said, this is what we want to do. And he's like, I got to be honest with you. I don't think you're going to be able to do what you think. And we're like, but you can do it. So we're going to figure it out. <laughs> and so we tried, uh, we actually brought in somebody who had a 40 years of more of title experience and tried to support them in hiring who they felt they need to hire by the software that they felt like we needed to buy. But we didn't have anybody who could go in and be like, well, this is what you need to do on a regular basis. And we didn't understand the world well enough that we couldn't say, let's build out these processes. I think one of my biggest failures is that I kind of sat in the back end on that one and I just kind of let it happen. And none of us were really making sure that processes were happening the way they should or that things were being followed. So we'd have complaints about late title work or missing pieces of the paperwork or whatever. And we didn't jump on it as fast as we probably should have, but we just didn't know what we didn't know. And we just let that be the excuse. I think eventually I just sat in and I got to learn it. And I just said, I don't think we can make the type of money that we want because well, one, we did not work on our reputation right away. That was, should have been our first and foremost before we pushed faster. Uh, but also we didn't really take into account how important it is to get title insurance on everything and how much that actually brings an in income for a title company. So in lots of places in the country where everyone's used to it, it's no big deal. Here, the mortgage lenders would even be like, hmm, no, you don't need that. And they cross it off of our CD. And so it was like an uphill battle fighting to try to bring in the only big revenue stream in this area. So, so, so part of it would have just been doing the research up front to realize you maybe you're not in the right area for that, huh? Right. Well, and we thought we could overcome it because even three hours away from here, they don't do it that way. It's just our little, little, little city right here that it doesn't work. So we would have either had to go way bigger, way faster just to try to reach markets that it would work in, or we should have been a lot more careful with how we started it. So if you guys were to start building expansion teams, and I'm not saying you are or you're not, but let's say you were to build an expansion team three hours away and mm -hmm. it was successful, would you encounter this experience again of building a title company? We wouldn't. So we actually do have a team three hours away um, okay. and we do have mortgage there and we have insurance there and we have real estate there. We won't do title again. <laughs> okay. okay. Great. So you've experienced with the usuals, right? The most common is mortgage and title. And then you have home insurance, which is kind of the third one out there. You have companies that do home flipping. That's become a pretty common thing, but I haven't really seen a lot of people jump in and say, you know what? we're going to start a construction company. So how did this, how did this come about? Like that's a pretty different business that you're not necessarily feeding with your real estate business other than, you know, you have all these buyers and they need a place to find when in a difficult market, in a real seller's market, which we have been in, it gives you an opportunity to say, Hey, look, we're building this home. Right. So it gives you that opportunity, but what made you guys decide to go down that road? Well, first of all, I'm going to say I really wish we had done it a year sooner because it would have been really great if those homes were ready <laughs> when the big boom hit um, in spring. Honestly, I think 
and this was a, this was a Derek's brainchild and he was still passionate about it and we just weren't ready a year ago but um he, he just said uh, he looks around and he's so big on I don't want to say rip up on duplicate but kind of you know he sees what successful people are doing and he goes you know real estate agents they're the ones with the nice cars really successful real estate agents are the ones with the nice cars and the nice like cabin and you know entrepreneurs are the ones that have the lake cabin and the investment property in Florida, or, you know, they have so much more. And he goes, but then there's builders who have built empires and we're just not even tapping into that revenue stream until you get into that world. The biggest piece is finding the capital to back you, right? So it was a lot of hard work finding the capital to back him, but it was just like, it was just this open piece that we were just kind of missing. And uh, honestly, we want to get into development next. That just comes down to finding someone to work with the government for us so that we don't have to learn all (laughs) on how to create development too. That's awesome. So when you did that, like, what did you guys do? Obviously, it sounds like funding was the most difficult piece, but I would think mm-hmm. having the right GM there was probably a very important piece as well. How did you go about getting that right person? Because in order to build all these businesses, the key is, in my experience, is finding the right people to run them yeah. with you, for you, whatever you want to call it. So you've got to get yeah. the right people in the bus. How did you go about doing that in the construction world? Honestly, we had the right person in house already, and we just didn't realize it. And that's probably why we jumped in. And when we did was once we realized it. Um, so we had brought in Gabe. He actually was acting as a buyer for us on our flip company. So he would go out and buy the homes that we would flip. But his world was, he was a project manager for a company that did concrete and framing. And he was a project manager that did some remodeling work and stuff too so he already kind of knew that world and you could just tell when we talked about the future and what we wanted to do here how much passion he had for it and how much knowledge he had and so we just like would you be interested in heading this up for us he's like yeah and he's just one of those people who has a special gift of he has a little bit of integrator and visionary in him so he has great ideas but he knows how to create the processes and the flow to do it and so we just kind of took a step back and let him kind of lead it. We said, here's the homes that we want to build. Uh, what do you think? And he gave us our feedback. And then what he brought in his connections with different general contractors and subs. And he brought in his connections with drafters and other vendors that we would need to utilize and really introduced us to some really phenomenal people that helped us get our feet off the ground really quickly. Okay. I love that you guys are just like these entrepreneurs that, you know, you come up with the ideas and then you're like this execution person that goes after executing on these. So congratulations on all of your success in these businesses. I love, I mean, this being the grit podcast, there are so many real estate people that are afraid to go down and tackle this in the way that you guys have done that. So thank you for sharing that with us today. I think it's amazing. So You guys also, and then I have, I want to dig in and switch gears, but you are now starting a podcast. What? Yes. Actually two podcasts. So what is driving this? Okay. So my aim initially was like, I'm not into video. I'm not good at it, but 
one thing Derek had challenged me at at the beginning of the year was to get more onto YouTube with our companies. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And I don't know where to even start. And I just kept researching it. And I realized that podcasting is really where people want to be because it's so much easier to sit down and, or not even sit down, but like listen as you're going, right? Um, how often do people just sit down nowadays anyway? It's so easy to listen on the, you know, on your walks or in the car or whatever. So that's kind of where it stemmed. And now it's, I brought full circle so that I can do video podcasting. And that's kind of why we're working on our studio is because we're going to be filming them. But I really wanted to make people aware of the challenges that entrepreneurs go through when they create companies and how many mistakes they make and how many failures they like overcome to get there and why it's okay to fail. Like it's so important to fail because every time you fail, like you get better, right? The only time you don't get better is when you just stay down. So I want to bring light to the failures and the rejoice and celebrate in our failures so that we can continue to be better. And I honestly believe that all the failures we made at the beginning of the real estate company and the mortgage company and you know even some of the failures we've made in the other companies help the help these newer companies grow so much faster because we were aware of pitfalls. We are aware of hiring out of pain. And so being more careful on the type of people we hired into the company, being more aware of the relationships that we had with lenders or banks or vendors or whoever it is, we just grew so much from every one of those failures that we have this opportunity now. And I want to make sure people are aware of that and to be okay with it. So initially my name was going to be Unrisky Wealth because it doesn't need to be risky to be wealthy, but I think it's actually going to be risky. And it is, but it's not in the way people think. I think people see a failure as like, it's time to crash and burn. And now you have to like admit that you're a failure. Well, why do you have to like admit that you're a failure? Why can't you celebrate that you're a failure? So yeah, I'm really excited to really get to know uh, some of the entrepreneurs in our world a little bit better and ones that I don't know yet and help other people really start these businesses that they've been dreaming about, but done too scared to do. Yeah, I love your topic there. I think failure is something that so many of us are afraid of. But every time we fail, if we learn from that, it's really a stepping stone to success. And everybody fails. Like, if, if only we all knew that we all fail, right? Then we would all be like, oh, yeah, I'm just one of everybody else. So it is truly, though, a stepping stone to, to get that much closer to your goal every time you do. So you know, I've had a lot of business coaches that are like, fail fast. The faster you can fail, the faster you're going to learn. Absolutely. So, so I love that. And when you get that podcast, let me know. I'd love to join you on it. Absolutely. So, all right, Hannah. Well, thanks for joining us today. Before we drop off, I just have a couple of personal questions that I want to ask you. One is just what is your favorite book or source of learning or podcast or whatever, whatever it is that you go to, to, to continue to grow? I don't necessarily have a favorite book, but I am obsessed with Audible. I listen to books consistently, like every car ride, every time I'm walking the dog or throwing the ball for the dog or whatever, I'm always listening to books. I challenge people to start speeding up their books. So I started at one. I'm actually at 2.7 now when I listen to my books, so I can get through them really fast. (laughs) But there's so much, and I have um, Audible access at Plus, so you know, it's about $20 and there's just hundreds of books that I have access to and I can just play consistently. Otherwise I am really 
a big fan of Brene Brown and vulnerability and leadership and, you know, just really getting to know who you are and being authentic and who you are to other people to build the relationships and trust. Okay. I love that. I thought for sure that rocket fuel was going to be one of those. Cause I've heard you talk about visionary and integrator today. So yes. So rocket fuel is the second book in traction. Yeah. Um, it feeds off attraction. Yes. I do like, like rocket fuel. Actually the first time we listened to it, Derek and I listened to it or read it and listened to it together. And we laughed so hard because everything that we were feeling our challenges were and our structure, like um, things we were struggling with were was exactly what they listed our struggles would be. And we just laughed because we're like, yep, nope, that's definitely us. Yeah. You're like, oh, there's a pattern here. It's not just us. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I love it. What's your favorite place to go when you vacation? I do not have a favorite place. I like to travel and I like new experiences. Last winter, we did Disney World with our kids. They're 10 and nine. So it was like the perfect ages. I do love the mountains and the ocean. So Denver, the Grand Tetons, the Rocky Mountains have been phenomenal and I'm just so beautiful. I One of my goal places in the U.S. is Oregon. I have not been to Oregon yet. So that's one of the ones I want to get to, one of the states I need to get to. When you go um, there, make sure and go to Cannon Beach. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, perfect. So make sure and put that on your list. What is the one piece of advice in just summarizing here, what is the one piece of advice you would want to give to our listeners? I'd probably go back to failure, fail often, fail fast. But the biggest piece about that is owning your failures and learning from them. If you fail, just own it. People will respect you for doing that. If if you hide it or you try to put the blame on someone else, you lose respect, you lose the opportunity to learn. So I love that. We talked about failure, but we didn't talk about being accountable, right? Take accountability for your failures because ultimately we are accountable for our own lives, right? Absolutely. Yeah. As soon as we recognize that, it can really change our lives forever. So, all right. How do people best get a hold of you if they want to? You can shoot me an email at hannah.bettenhausen at exprealty.com. Awesome. All right, everybody. So Hannah Bettenhausen on the show today. Hannah, thank you for joining us. It's been great to hear how you guys have had so much success in building these different businesses. And congratulations on your success in moving into this industry in 2016 and just now having been a key part of creating businesses, at least six of them that I'm aware of. So congratulations on that and much success to you in the future. And thanks for being on the show today. All of you listeners, um, if you'll go in and subscribe, if you'll go in and subscribe to the podcast and like this episode, you'll help us bring more top guests into future episodes. So thank you so much. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your setup fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the real estate growth mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.